0: Let me pray first, and then I'll read, Father, thank you that we do want to see Jesus lifted high. And so often, Lord, we can sing that when really we want ourselves to be lifted high, people to think better of us. And we pray that you would please help me today, not to want that at all, but to want our church to see how great Jesus is. Pray that we'll learn that together as a church family, children separately, and then us as we look at this part of the Bible. Please will you help us to learn how great Jesus is, that we might have our confidence in him, and we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 5 and verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison. So they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. When the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went in and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they brought them, they set them before the council and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you are, you fill Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exhorted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to the Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him Judas the Galilean rose in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if this is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching. That Jesus is the Christ. We carry on. Now, let me just uh, ask you if you're sitting comfortably, are you ready for story time? Let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a man called Daniel. Now, Daniel was a baker, he made very, very good cakes. But apart from the people who bought his cakes, no one had ever heard of Daniel. And Gareth was another man who bought Daniel's cakes. And Gareth liked Daniel's cakes very much, so that one day he wanted Daniel to make him a special cake. And the special cake looked like this. It had a very special message. It said, support gay marriage. Now, Daniel was a man that no one had heard of, but he was a Christian man. And he was happy to make cakes for Gareth, but he didn't want to teach anybody else Gareth's message. So he said he wouldn't make this cake. Gareth got cross, reported him to the authorities. The authorities punished Daniel Daniel said this is not fair I will appeal and so he appealed to the chief court in his country in Northern Ireland and the chief court said Daniel was wrong and Daniel said that's not fair and he appealed to an even bigger court but this time more and more people are hearing about the baker they'd never heard of before and people were understanding that Daniel was a Christian. He loved following Jesus and therefore he wanted to teach people that Jesus and following his way was good. And his best way was for a man and woman to live together for life and he wanted everybody to know that his God and his way was best. And so he appealed to the big court of the country. Everybody in his country already knew about him, but then the big court in England, the Supreme Court of Great Britain, listened to what Daniel had to say. And last Thursday they said that Daniel was right, and after they said that, Daniel the Baker that no one had ever heard of stood in front now, not of the country's, his country's cameras, but the television crews of the whole world, watched Daniel come out and stand in front and say, I love God. I thank God so much for helping me, for my Christian friends for praying for me and for Jesus. And he was wonderfully grateful to God and wonderfully gracious to the person who put him in trouble in the first place. And he said, Garrus, you can come and I'll make you a cake any day, just not a cake like this. And that is a true story, and it's a true story that finished just three days ago. And if you want to understand what happened in the great court in our country, well you've got to go back to a courtroom in Acts chapter 5 and understand what was going on there. And what do you find? I'll just tell you that a simple sentence. And while I'm talking, perhaps I should give you to start with. Uh, that's because I always forget to hand out what I shouldn't be handing out, so here we are. Take one apart. And as we get there, let me come out with one simple sentence that will tell you all I want to tell you today. Okay, ready? This is the one simple sentence. Nothing stops. The living Jesus, so suffer gladly. Okay? Right, feed that back to me. Ready? Nothing stops the living Jesus, so suffer gladly. Okay, that's what we're going to learn this evening. So, we'll take that in little parts. And the first thing I want to say is nothing stops. Because, well, if you look at the people in verse 17, they want to stop the apostles talking about Jesus. And so therefore they get them arrested. Acts chapter 5 and verse 17. You see that's what's happening. The high priest rose up and all who were with him, they were filled with jealousy and they had them arrested. They wanted to stop them talking. And they wanted to stop them talking because they were jealous. Now let me tell you, there is such a good thing, there is such a thing as good jealousy, but there is also such a thing as bad jealousy. Good jealousy... Is when you don't like a rival coming in to a relationship that you have that shouldn't have anybody else in it. So, if you're strictly fans, you know that there was a drunken kiss, and you know that uh, the partners of the people involved felt very betrayed because they thought they had something exclusive. And there was a rival, there was jealousy. That is good jealousy. There is a place for not wanting a rival in a relationship like that. But there is such a thing as bad jealousy. And bad jealousy is when we look at other people and we want to be admired by them, only they are admiring somebody else. That's what's happening here. They wanted the crowds because they were the leaders. They wanted the crowds to admire them. But yet, if you look at verse 14 of chapter 5, everybody is listening to the apostles and wanting to follow Jesus. It is the apostles that have now got the attention. The game's moved. We saw that last week from the temple authorities to the apostles. And the temple authorities are jealous and it's a very dangerous jealousy and you're meant to be impressed by the people who are there in the room in verse 21 you see the importance of the people uh, the council, the whole council all the senators of the people of Israel are there every single person with any authority at all is there in the room and they want to bring in the apostles so it's not just Peter that's arrested it's worth noticing this that in verse 18 they arrested the apostles so all the apostles are there under the hammer okay this could be a very quick end to the Christian story But the most important people are there and they've captured all the apostles but all they've got to do is pull the lever and the show is over now if you had a room like that they've got all the important people and all the Christian leaders and one wants to get rid of the other what do you think they're going to be feeling like in heaven in the court of heaven, when this is the dangerous situation in this court on earth. And you look up to heaven and you think, Is everybody biting their fingernails? And you find out the Bible tells you what it's like in heaven. Not here, but in Psalm 2, you find out it is a joke. God loves. Psalm 2, verse 4. There's no nervousness. He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord holds them in derision. Psalm 2 is about a whole group of people who are getting together against God and God finds it the funniest thing and laughs. And he wants us to laugh too because that's what happens. This trial is a joke. Can you see what's going on? It's actually written in a way that makes you giggle. So it says, here are all the important people, right? Everybody who's important has gathered, but there's no one to bring in. All the guards are there guarding no one. And the people are talking about Jesus in the same place where everybody said they mustn't. This courtroom is to be held in division. It's a joke. And the authorities are a laughingstock because God's opened the doors and let them out. Now, of course, you see God opening the doors and letting them out. You think, well, why doesn't God open all the doors and let all the Christians out? Enough Christians in prison. Why doesn't God do this for everybody? Done it once? Why doesn't he do it all the time? And the truth is, God is opening the doors here so people talk about Jesus. Right? And that's what God does when he opens the doors. And that's what God does when, if you like, he puts the Christians, put the, puts the Christians in prison and shuts the doors. So in Philippians, and you've got the uh, reference there, in Philippians (coughs) chapter 1 verses 12 and 13 I won't ask you to look it up but I'll tell you but it's there on the piece of paper so you can go look it up another time and what happens in Philippians chapter 1 is Paul is saying I'm in prison, no one's opened the door to let me out but I'll tell you while I'm in prison the whole Praetorian guard is heard. in other words God has still opened the door for people to talk about Jesus even though they happen to be in prison doing it at the time so God is always going to open the door for people to talk about Jesus. Okay, That's what he wants to do. Nothing stops people doing that. Therefore, it is a fantastic thing. I was talking about Pharaoh, uh, to Pharaoh about this this morning. I said, therefore, every morning it's a good prayer to pray. Lord, please open the door for me to talk about Jesus today. Great prayer. God answers it in Acts 5 and he does it in prison when Paul's there and he does it for you and for me when we ask him. So teach Jesus. And they fill Jerusalem with their teaching. But here is the very big teaching point that we need to really understand and get clear tonight. Because what Peter says to authorities is very, very important. He says in verse 30, essentially Jesus died because of you. Now you might think he's got it in for these people because they were the authorities who did actually sentence Jesus to death. But actually, Peter's been saying this same thing to the whole crowds in Jerusalem. In chapter 2, verse 36, you can see how Peter tells all of them, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified and my friends here's the big message that we need to learn that the crucifixion of Jesus if you like to put it like this the cross is the measure of our sin if you want to know how evil how sinful you are This is the only place where you will find out how bad it is. See, our problem is that when we want to find out how bad we are, we look at our feelings. And, okay, on a bad day we might feel bad. And then what happens is we think, okay, uh, but I'm not always bad. I have some good as well. We put the good next to the bad and and then we think, I should be feeling better now. And so we think we're as bad as how much we feel. And if we don't feel about that bad, well, then there's nothing to worry about, is there? The Bible says that you will never be able to really work out how bad you are just by looking at yourself. We need other people to help us. We need outside measure for our sin. And the Bible tells us that Jesus dying on the cross shows us just how much one man was separated when they carried my sin on themselves. It is interesting when Jesus died on the cross that he didn't say, Arch, this hurts, or that the pain of the cross was massive. It's where our English word excruciating comes from. But Jesus doesn't talk about this painful physical experience. He says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That cry of separation from God is what he felt. And it's worse than excruciating pain. Although excruciating pain will give you some idea of what that kind of spiritual pain must be like. Now my friends, that is the pain that every single sinner deserves. Because Jesus died to pay for our sin. You want to understand therefore how great your sin is, look at how great the penalty is. When you understand how great the penalty is, you can say, I have done no small sin. My sin is enormous if I'm measuring it by the cross. And that is the measure of sin, and I think it is so helpful for us to get that clear and large in our minds i won't ever make any progress with god you will not make any progress with god until you discover this is the extent of your sin against god by looking at the punishment that he brought to the person who carried it and therefore Peter says, this is the big message. He won't be silenced in verse 29. And it's interesting, isn't it? The authorities are looking at people. That's why they're jealous. Peter, we saw last week, it's a good thing. He feared God. In other words, it just mattered what God's eyes looked at and saw him doing. And he therefore went out and spoke out this message this terrible message helping people to understand that their sin is far far greater than their feelings could ever tell them it is and so Peter tells them about the cross exposes their sin and that is a measure of the seriousness of our rejection of God Nothing stops Peter saying that because it is so serious and large. But then he goes on to tell from verse 30 when he talks about Jesus and them killing him, he goes on to say in verse 31 how God honoured him. See verse 31, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour. Now this is interesting, isn't it? How do we honour people when they die? Normally we honour people, by erecting a great edifice in their memory. Now, before we came to start this church, we were part of Parish Church. In Parish Church, there are lots of graves and some of those graves are really huge, to tell you that the people who were buried there are very, very important. There's a farmer called William Ford and he had the biggest table grave uh, in the whole cemetery and the message is here is someone really really important the problem is actually those big graves are given to people who are not that important really no one's heard of William Ford outside Dagenham but he's not that important but he gets this huge grave and Largely, that's how we honor people when they die. Unknown people get these big graves. Well, then what happens when Jesus, the best-known person in the world, the most famous person, what does he get? A huge grave? No, you can't find out where, he, where they put him after he died. You can get the city, all right, somewhere in Jerusalem, but, and there are a couple of guesses that people have made, but who knows if they're right or wrong. No one knows where Jesus was buried. No point in knowing. I mean, why find out where somebody was just for a couple of hours? Now the reason why Jesus was honored is because God exhorted him and brought him back to life again. The honor of Jesus is not the fact that he has a very impressive tomb somewhere, it is that he himself is here. And when he is there with his people, Wonderfully, he controls what's happened to them. So, Jesus is the one who's controlling the courtroom. And you see that through what happens to this wise man called Gamaliel. And with Gamaliel, you can see Jesus has got a tomb, and he controls Gamaliel. Now, he is a wise man. He says, look, if this thing is from God don't bother trying to stop it you won't but if this thing is from man I suspect that it is then really nothing needs to be done because anything started up by man is going to quickly finish and they all thought he was wise, he was respected it just isn't true that he was as wise as people thought he was because although it is true that sometimes person can have their 15 minutes of fame and then get forgotten very quickly, that's true. But it's also true that there are lies that have uh, lit up fires that are still going around the world today. There's an American writer called Mark Twain who said that a lie will run around the world before truth puts its shoes on and Islam and various other ideologies are there to tell you that lies go around the world and they don't just simply finish as quickly, Gamayla isn't entirely right in that and also, he's wrong in the way that he lumps Jesus with these two other people who started something and then five minutes later it was all over How how does he do that? How can he love Jesus? What about his teaching? What about his miracles? What about releasing these people from the prison? What about all that Peter has told him about God exalting him after he died? No, Gimela doesn't get that. He's not really wise. But God controls him. God uses him as a weapon to stop... The people of Israel doing what they really want to do, which is wanting to kill them in verse 33. When they heard this, they were enraged, they want to kill him. But a Pharisee called Gamaliel, God used him. Because God is alive, he has exalted Jesus, and God now controls through Jesus what happens to his people. Okay? So, nothing stops the living Jesus. So, gladly suffer for him that's what they do they get beaten in verse 41 and what happens in verse 40 rather and what happens is the beating is usually 39 lashes with a whip and they come out of the beating their backs are absolutely ripped open they're bleeding everywhere and what do they do in verse 41 they count themselves um they the Pentecost rejoiced and they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. Now what might make them do that? Can you just imagine what would make you come out of a whipping and say, "I am so grateful to be counted worthy to suffer for the name?" What would make you think like that Now? I don't know if you were there with me in Revive two years ago, but I think there was a man called John Piper who asked us to see exactly why they spoke, spoke like this and said these words. John Piper said that when Jesus spoke to the disciples about how they would be treated in the future, he said, look, they have persecuted me, they will do the same thing to you. A servant is not above his masters, so therefore they saw Jesus persecuted, they expected the same thing to come their way as well. But so far, what had happened to them? Nothing but success. They preach a sermon, 3,000 people become Christians. After that, people are devoting themselves to the Apostles' teaching. They're their money and giving it to the Apostles' feet for distribution to people in need. They've got a whole community that loves them and is together. Then they preach again. Another. Another 5,000 come in, or another 2,000 come in. It's now it's nice 5,000. Everything is going well. And you can imagine, can't you? Peter and John looking at each other and saying, John, have we got this right? We were told that it was going to be just the opposite, but for us, it's not been like that at all. Have we made a mistake? Have we gone wrong somewhere? Have we missed a turning? And then they get beaten. And they come out and they say, Yes, it's finally happened. Now we've been given the highest honor. We've been treated like Jesus himself. We've been counted worthy to suffer for the name. And so they have this uh, wonderful uh, opportunity to wear the Jesus badge. They have the honour to be dishonoured. They have the grace to be disgraced. And therefore they keep teaching. I think it's really important for us to see that suffering (coughs) is the highest experience you can have. Suffering for the name of Jesus is the highest spiritual experience there is. Many people say, no, no, prosperity is. That's the mark of the authentic Christian. And often in African churches, that is the big message that comes up. But let me tell you, that out of Africa come the most profoundly brilliant things as well. So out of Uganda, a bishop called Fester Kivengeri, who people say is the Billy Graham of Africa, and he spoke about the killing of Archbishop Janani Nubum, also of Uganda (coughs) and he said these words without bleeding the church fails to bless there's no blood there's no blessing and when there's blood you've got the highest privilege because that is where the blessings will be found nothing stops the living Jesus so gladly suffer. That's the moment you've arrived. I'd be take this home. I want to uh, suggest, yes yeah, sorry, uh, you want a picture, there's the picture. I'd be taking this home. But the first thing perhaps to say is if you've uh, not been to church, you're looking over the fence, you're wondering about becoming a Christian, you're wondering where to start, let me tell you here's the place to start. We need to see first and foremost that the penalty for our sin is just so big that that is where we begin to see how great our offence is to the true and living God. No one has small sin. The cross tells us how big it is and we need to understand that and we need to understand that particularly for us as a church as we've entered this state, estate the difficulty of our church family is not that we want to go out and get people saved that's not the hard job the hard job as Billy Graham said is to get people lost first by showing the greatness of sin and that the little things that we do wrong ultimately are not where we go to if we want to find out how sinful we are in fact actually if you look at verse 31 you see that our sin is so great we can't even turn from it without God's help that's what he says in verse 31 um, in the Bible uh, God in the right hand as leader saviour to give repentance to Israel. Why he's even got to give you that. Mm-hmm. No one can repent unless God gives them the desire and the will to do it. No one turns back unless God helps them first. And my friends, it is really important to hear this. We would love you, if you're not a Christian, to belong to Jesus but first you really need to feel your helplessness. You cannot turn to him unless he helps you. Please don't think you are powerful enough to decide that you will follow him. No one turns back unless God enables them. And therefore it's important to think of ourselves as weak and to ask God to help us turn to him, to be forgiven by him, because we now see how big our sins are. We take his word for it. We don't take our feelings as the right measure. And then we ask him to fill us with his Holy Spirit so that we can obey him. All that is there in verse 31. So my friends, you can come to church all you want. Nothing happens unless you ask God to put it into your heart to repent and turn to Him. Till then you sit there, and you stand up and you go home, and nothing will change. It's a good message for those who might be wondering how to become a Christian. Secondly, if you've been to church, well you see the trap of thinking like the authorities that the death of Jesus has got nothing to do with you. And a clue that that's the way we've begun to think is that we actually see the sin in other people, we don't see the sin in ourselves, that's what the authorities did. Peter, you are the ones that are in the wrong, not us. And the mark of a person is lots of priorities, we see lots of wrong in other people, our husbands, our children, we never see the wrong in ourselves. And we don't therefore see that our sin is measured at the cross and there is therefore a big difference between the church person and the real Christian. The church person will come and go just a few weeks, come, go the real Christian one with the Holy Spirit will be the person who says my sin is just massive and I love the person who has forgiven me, he's given me the chance to come to him to understand how great my sin is to be forgiven and now to be filled with God that I can be more and more like him that is the mark of a person who doesn't go to church but who understands the cross. Sorry, does go to church, doesn't only go to church, I should say. What happens if you're a real Christian and you want to live for the Lord Jesus? Well, it is important, I think, that we get our joy from two places. The first place we get our joy is from verse 31. Our joy is built on gratitude gratitude that realizes we are paralyzed we can do nothing to step into God's kingdom but he gave us the heart he gave us repentance he gave us the eyes to see the massiveness of our sin by measuring it on the cross rather than by our feelings and he fills us with his living presence so that we are no longer bothered by what people think we are so amazed at the great goodness of God, the ginormity of sin that we tell other people, look, this is how seriously we are away from God. And yet, even you can turn around and ask God's help to come back. So there is great joy when you realize that nothing of this you could have done on your own, all of this God has done for you. Just feel your helplessness and love him more and more because of your helplessness. Okay, joy comes there. That's the first place. The second place is redefine the pinnacle of the Christian life as suffering. That's the new measure of success. It's not the life where everything goes without any blip and everything's working nicely. Now it's the moment at which God gives you the opportunities to start suffering for the gospel, to start saying no to yourself so the gospel can go forward, in different areas, in temptation, in the way that you use your time to make him known, where you use your money, where suddenly suffering becomes. Apart the way we live and God says that is because I have put my mark of favour on you you can start counting yourself worthy to suffer that's the mark of success and that's the thing that we want to celebrate When, when suffering comes we don't say oh why me in a despairing way we say why me that you have given me such a privilege for me to carry your name through this dark time, let me do that well. And there are some in this church that is reeling through hard times and they want to suffer for the name of Jesus to bear him glory as they suffer. That's why we were seeing our last hymn uh, which again comes against me, "Who who am I, who am I, who am I? In other words, why me that you have chosen me to go through all this, including this hard time, my friends don't despair nothing stops the living Jesus so suffer gladly for him, let me stop there you pray for a minute and then I'll pray to bring it all together, then we'll handle any questions that you have so Father we pray as we take in these words That uh, you enable us to just appreciate and value again this huge grace that you give us, that everything is done for us. We can't even turn to you to say sorry without you helping us, opening our eyes like sources to see how great our sin is against you. That we might then humble ourselves to come and ask you for your forgiveness. Thank you, Father, that you fill us with your Holy Spirit. To show us we are not rejected by you, even though we have done that. And we thank you that you fill us with your Holy Spirit to carry the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you that nothing stops that name going forward. Thank you that in this world, the Christian baker, who is a no one, is persecuted and stands in front of the world... To hold up the name of Jesus Thank you that These things happen As part of our privilege In our day The way it did For the early Christians We pray that you please help us To hold on to that conviction That nothing stops The living Jesus And therefore help us As a church to suffer gladly For him